This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful they could follow you out, or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. If I have one regret in life, it's the way I spent my college years. Growing up, I was told to work hard, save up, study hard, and take my classes seriously, because college was the first step in my career. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. I certainly pity those who take on tens of thousands of dollars in debt just to party for four years and end up trapped in some job that will be automated before the decade is up. But nobody told me you can work hard, study hard, and play hard with the right balance. In fact, my philosophy now is that play actually enhances work. Man, I wish I knew that back then. My roommate during my senior year made me question everything. If only we had met while I was a freshman, maybe I would have had a college experience worth the space in my memory. His name was Cody Angel, like he was the lead in some big budget action franchise. He had the name, but he certainly didn't look the part. Cody and I had very similar narrow frames back then. He wore rectangular glasses that I told him made him look like a youth pastor. He wasn't conventionally cool, but he had a likable personality that got him by. I mean, That's how we ended up living together in a small off-campus apartment during our last year. We got partnered in a lab and just clicked. Cody's likable personality didn't just get him a roommate, it got him girls. Lots of girls. But he never brought them home. Not even the ladies he occasionally dated steadily. Out of respect for me, he would always go with a young lady to her place instead. The only downside to this unspoken arrangement was Cody would often go out and not come home until the next day. Sometimes I'd text him to make sure he was alright, but he almost never responded. Call me paranoid, but I hated being alone in that apartment at night, especially after I found the printer. Winter had landed heavily, and our entryway was constantly browned with mud and crusty with salt. We would leave our shoes by the door and let the slush melt away there so it wouldn't get on the carpet. Messes like that didn't bother Cody, so about once a week I would get out the paper towels and wipe the linoleum clean. Cody had brought a giant Costco-sized package of paper towels from home, which we kept in the bottom of the pantry. 
I grabbed one of the last rolls of paper towels from that package one day, and the whole thing shifted and tipped over. I almost left it there. I had become inexplicably tired in the middle of the day starting a few weeks earlier. I was getting plenty of sleep and eating well, but even with regular doses of caffeine my body still just wanted to lay down whenever I got home. I chalked it up to stress. While trying to write the paper towels so I could shut the door, I realized something else was behind them. Wondering what long-lost item we had shoved in there during move-in, I let the mostly empty package fall the rest of the way. There, on the floor in the back of the pantry, was a gray printer. It was the old, simple kind without a screen or copying surface. It looked like a tackle box with an empty tray sticking out. I removed the printer from the pantry and was excited to find both the power cord and USB cable wrapped together on the back. Perfect, I thought. I can get some paper, and I won't have to do all my printing on campus anymore. It turned out I needed to get ink, too. I'm not sure how long that printer had been stored in the pantry, but the cartridges in it were bone dry. I asked Cody about it when he got home that afternoon, and he said he had thought the printer was mine. I figured it didn't work or something, he said. I thought maybe you put it in the pantry because you were going to fix it up. I said, nope, it must have gotten left behind by somebody else. I'm going to see if it works, though. With new ink cartridges and a fresh ream of paper, that old printer did work. There were a few long hairs wrapped tightly around the roller, but the belt could still turn it. This unit wasn't Wi-Fi enabled or anything, but I didn't mind. I did wish it had a copy function so I could copy some pages from my textbooks, but I found it for free, so I couldn't complain. My desk was too small to fit the printer, so I put it on the living room floor next to the TV instead. Cody said he didn't mind it there. I told him he was welcome to use it too, as long as he didn't use up all the ink. He thanked me, but said he usually printed all of his assignments last minute when he was already on campus. Cody didn't come home that night. I sent him my usual text and received the usual nothing in response. I made sure his keys weren't hanging from the hook before locking our door and going to sleep. I went to sleep almost immediately after laying down, still in my clothes. That had started happening fairly often. Sometimes I would just sit on my bed to relax for a minute and wake up 15 or 20 minutes later. When I woke up the next morning, I thought maybe Cody had come home after all. His bedroom door was closed, but it almost always was. The real giveaway was the prank he tried to pull. Or at least, I thought he did. When I walked out of my room that morning, I had noticed a page sticking out of the printer's tray. Confused, I went over and pulled it out. The page was entirely blank besides one bold word near the top. Hello. I rolled my eyes and slipped the paper back in the feed tray so I could use the other side later. I thought I would tell Cody it was funny once, but to please not waste my ink or paper on jokes anymore. Then, around eight, Cody came home. He was still wearing the clothes he had gone to class in the day before. I remember our conversation almost word for word. I said, I thought you were in your room. Cody shrugged and shook his head. Nope. I met a cool girl in one of my classes and accidentally spent the night at her place. Accidentally? I asked. She had never seen The Departed, so we went and bought a copy. I've probably seen that movie half a dozen times, so I ended up falling asleep before Martin Sheen went through the window. It's weird. I've been having a lot of trouble staying awake lately. I woke up on her couch this morning and left her a note. What'd you think of the movie? I asked. I wanted to come back to his trouble staying awake, but needed to address the printer first. 
Well, I fell asleep, so I don't know for sure, but I mean, come on, it's the departed. I laughed and Cody opened his bedroom door, but I spoke again before he could disappear inside it. Hey, hold on a second, I said. Did you use the printer at all last night? No, Cody said warily. Didn't you hear anything I just told you? I went to that girl's place after class. I haven't been home since like three o'clock yesterday afternoon. Huh. I gave the printer a sideways glance, but didn't give it much thought after that. I still thought Cody was pranking me. I just didn't know how. He and I rode the bus to campus an hour later, then went our separate ways. When I got home, I pulled off my slush-coated boots and stepped over the puddle that had already formed by the door. The first thing I saw was a sheet of paper sticking out of the printer behind the TV. I looked around but didn't see Cody's boots. He should have still been in class anyway. Feeling apprehensive, I slowly crossed the living room in an arch. Water squished between my toes from my damp socks. The new words were upside down, but big and bold enough for me to read anyway. They had been printed on the back side of the same page from earlier. This time, they said, I'm still here. I panicked and unplugged the printer because I didn't know what else to do. I felt violated. Someone was printing messages into my apartment. I didn't know who or why, but I dreaded reading something worse than I'm still here. What if I started receiving threats? What if the message sender demanded some kind of ransom to leave me alone? But then I had to ask how someone could be printing the messages at all. Like I said, the printer didn't have Wi-Fi or Bluetooth capabilities. Without the hardwired USB cord, no one should have been able to print anything. I had heard of baby monitors picking up the wrong signal and such and wondered if some magnetic component inside the printer could be catching a signal from someone who did have a wireless printer. But then, why say hello and I'm still here if the signal were being caught accidentally? I felt like those messages were intentionally sent to me. I still couldn't rule out Cody either. Pinning it on him would be difficult, but he was still the most logical culprit. He was the only other person with access to the apartment, to the USB cord. And even though he had supposedly been gone both times, I couldn't prove he hadn't snuck back in at some point. I put the unplugged printer under my arm and took it into my bedroom. I moved a few things to the floor so I could place it on my desk for the night. I considered leaving the printer unplugged, but decided if I really wanted to know if someone from outside was printing the messages, I had to plug it back in. All that carrying and rearranging sent me to bed immediately. I quickly fell asleep while staring at the little orange standby light next to the printer's power button. My eyelids had barely kissed each other before the printer whirred to life. The motor spun and a sheet of paper was dragged from its bed into the belly of the printer. The print head dropped, beginning its rhythmic shuffle across the page. This process took less than 10 seconds. When it was done, the motor made an angry noise and shot the page to the end of the tray. I hadn't lifted the flap that catches finished pages, so the paper slid across my desk and onto the floor. I heard it whisper across the carpet and vanish under my bed. I felt around until my finger struck a corner of the page. Pinching the corner, I pulled the page out. It had landed with the blank side up. I turned it over. At the top of the page in the same bold letters as before were the words, Good night. I lurched out of bed and yanked the power cord out of the wall. That little indicator light waned and went dead. 
The page fluttered in my shaking hand as I stood, staring at the printer and panting. It hadn't been Cody, and it hadn't been some random crossing signal. Someone was intentionally trying to scare me. Now, with the printer next to my bed, I felt even more victimized and violated than before. I balled up the paper and threw it across the room. It bounced and went into my little bathroom where I heard it hiss to a halt. Immediately, the printer came alive again with all the same whirring and shuffling as before. My eyes darted to the dangling power cord, still swinging gently behind the desk almost a foot away from the outlet. The standby light was still dark. The printer had no power and yet somehow another page was being fed through. This one came out and landed on top of my foot. I looked down at the words, Don't be afraid. I barely had time to read the brief message before yet another piece of paper got pulled into the printer. A moment later, this one was ejected at me too. It said, What is your name? I'd had it. I picked up the two fallen pages from the floor. The one that said don't be afraid slipped out of my fingers and fell again, but I shoved the other one back in the tray and searched for the tab that would lift the tray and allow me to remove all of the paper. If unplugging it wouldn't stop the messages, I would disable the printer in other ways. I would destroy the damn thing if I had to. Before I pulled the paper out, another piece was picked up and fed into the printer. Fine, I thought. One more message before I shut you down for good. I caught the new page in my hand when it came out. It read, Clarissa. I stopped. This was the first message that had seemed random. For half a second, I wondered if I was overreacting, but obviously I wasn't. I realized the Clarissa page was the one I had put back on top before making to pull out all the paper. It was the one that had said, What is your name? What is your name? Clarissa. It was talking to me. My fear and anger slowly morphed into anxious excitement. Something beyond normality was clearly occurring. I suppose that's the definition of paranormal, but that word felt cheap in the face of an actual clairvoyant event. I left half of the paper in the tray and grabbed a pen from the souvenir cup full of writing utensils on my desk. I put the other half of the ream on the desk and sat down. With a trembling hand, I scrawled, Hi, Clarissa. I'm Matthew. I put the page into the paper tray and watched as the unplugged printer sucked it in. A moment later, Clarissa's reply was ejected from the jaws of the machine. It read, I am lonely. On the next page in my stack, I wrote, I'm sorry to hear that. Are you a ghost? I stared at those words for some time before sliding them into the paper tray. I wasn't sure if I even wanted an answer, or if I would have believed it if the answer had been yes. The printer did its thing, and I caught the reply between my fingers. No, never died. I glanced around the room as I pondered what the message meant. Never died. Not haven't died or didn't die. Never died. Maybe I was hung up on the semantics, but to me, never died implied eternity. Some sort of transition from life to the next stage without termination. Like when a highway curves away and seamlessly joins another without an exit ramp. I wrote another question I didn't necessarily want answered. Where are you? The answer she gave disappointed me. Don't know. I asked a handful of dead-end questions before I really got the hang of our conversation. Clarissa's replies seemed to be limited to no more than four or five words at a time. 
I plugged the printer back in, wondering if maybe it took too much of her energy to power it on her own, but that didn't help. Throughout our communication, I learned she had lived in the apartment only a couple of years before Cody and I. The printer had belonged to her originally, and it must have gotten left behind after she disappeared. Her roommate had gone away on an international study program that semester and left her alone. She didn't have any family to notice her absence. Her perfect attendance record halted, and she missed three months of rent. When the superintendent showed up with the cops to evict her, they found rotting food in the fridge and on the counter, and assumed she had split town. They threw out most of her stuff and relisted the apartment. Business as usual. I have a theory that one of the employees who went through her stuff meant to come back for the printer and forgot. That could explain why it got stashed away in the pantry. I thought our conversation was nearly over when an unprompted message came through. It said, Be careful, it is still here. I answered with the only logical response, What is still here? The reply started to print. I held out my hand to catch it, but before it was ejected, my bathroom door slammed shut. I jumped up, knocking my chair to the floor. Heart racing, I just stared at the closed door and listened to the silence. I wondered if whatever had slammed the door was hiding in the bathroom or standing in front of it, staring back at me. The paper waited to be read. I picked it up and saw just one word. Eater. Without fully taking my eyes off the bathroom door, I scrawled, What's an eater? onto a piece of paper and shoved it into the printer. I waited impatiently, bouncing on the balls of my feet for the answer. As the printer whirred and whined, the bathroom door squealed and slowly cracked open again. I watched it swing inward excruciatingly slow, wondering what would emerge from that dark room. A warm piece of paper tapped my thigh as it was ejected. The bathroom door stopped moving halfway open. I picked up the message without moving my head and held it up to read. Eats body, leaves soul. The bathroom door opened the rest of the way so fast my eyes didn't even detect it before the door slammed into the wall. I knew I had to get out, but didn't want to lose my connection to Clarissa. I grabbed the printer and ran. The plug came out of the wall and bounced around with every step I took. With the printer tucked under one arm, I opened the door and ran into the living room. The dangling power cord got caught under my foot. I stumbled forward, smashing my head against the corner of the kitchen table. I fell heavily on top of the printer. I felt the agonizing sensation of piercing shards of plastic pressing between my ribs before everything went away. I woke under a bright, white light. A face, half covered by a blue surgical mask, was staring down at me. It belonged to a man with dark eyes and bushy brows. The corners of his eyes creased as I opened mine. Ah, he said, you're awake. What happened, I asked. I tried to prop myself up, but my ribs screamed at me to lay back down. Oh, oh, don't move just yet. The stitches still need to set. Stitches, I asked. My hand went to my lower ribs, the origin of the pain, and the doctor gently caught it. You had an accident, he said as he placed my hand by my side. You're lucky your roommate found you. You cut your head and fell on top of a printer from what I hear. Superficial injuries, nothing to worry about. However, you also received a concussion and... and... well, we found some abnormalities. 
When the doctor said we, I suddenly realized a nurse was standing off to the side as still as a statue. The dark vignette around my vision, which I hadn't even noticed before, faded away, and the whole room became clearer. There was a third person, a woman dressed in business casual clothing, sitting across from the nurse. She noticed me notice her, and stood. Hello, she said. My name is Heather. I'm from the university's counseling service. Counseling? I asked. The doctor stepped away uneasily to let the counselor get near me. Yes, don't worry, you're not in trouble or anything. We're just checking in since you've had a medical emergency. I could see right through her. Something strange must have alerted the doctors to call a counselor. I'd been to the hospital for injuries before, and not once had someone like this woman come to check on me. The doctor here noticed some things I'd like to talk to you about. Do you feel up to a conversation yet? She asked. I said, I guess. Good. Well, let me start by asking if you've been under any abnormal stress lately. Is everything going okay academically? I nodded. How about with your family? Friends? Other relationships? All good, I said. How about your relationship with yourself? How do you feel about you? Uh, fine, I guess, I replied, wondering where these questions were going. Okay, good. Because the doctor here says your weight is about 17% below your ideal range. Now, I don't like to use labels, but just so you understand what I'm saying, you're well within the range of anorexia. I almost shot up in the bed, but the sore wounds in my ribs reminded me to stay down. Through a pained grimace, I asked, What? How can that be? The doctor stepped forward again. Simply put, he said, You're not eating enough. Your weight is far too low. Have you been feeling tired, physically or mentally? Maybe irritable? Tired, sure, I replied. But I eat plenty, I swear. I guess I have noticed my clothes are a little baggier, but I haven't changed my diet at all. You don't have to pretend for us. There's no judgment here the counselor Heather said. I see this all the time. It's really nothing to be ashamed of. I know, and I'm still telling you I'm not anorexic, I shot back. I'll admit I was getting scared. Something else has to be wrong. If I'm really that underweight, something must be... I trailed off because an intrusive thought wanted to finish the sentence for me. Something must be eating me, is what echoed through my brain. Eating my body, leaving my soul. When Clarissa had warned me about the eater, I had pictured a sudden, gruesome, and violent act, but a slow consumption over time made far more sense. It was literally eating me away to nothing. Am I allowed to leave? I asked. Well, it wouldn't be advised, but thanks, I interrupted. The counselor stepped back and the nurse stepped forward as I forced myself to sit up, but I waved her off. Both the doctor and nurse desperately tried to convince me to stay, but I walked out of the room without another word. I found Cody in the waiting room. He had fallen asleep, so I had to startle him awake. He looked worried, but smiled when he saw me. Hey, man, he started, but I held up my hand. We need to go, I said. You sure you shouldn't? Cody, listen to me. We need to leave right now. He didn't argue. He had driven himself to the hospital after the ambulance took me, so he was able to take us back to the apartment. I explained everything that had happened on the way there. I could tell Cody didn't believe me, but he didn't say so out loud. When we went inside, I was disappointed to see the printer smashed beyond repair next to the dining room table. A few of the larger, pointier pieces were coated in dried blood. The roller had broken off and came to rest on the kitchen floor. 
Those long hairs were still wrapped around it. All that's left of Clarissa, I thought. I would never communicate with Clarissa again. I researched the eater and found almost nothing of use. It seemed to be a unique type of parasitic spirit. Various ancient cultures had legends and myths about similar entities, but none included methods to get rid of them. Frustrated, I gave up and told Cody we had to do the only thing I could think of. Move. The property manager wouldn't let us cancel our lease, but she did let us switch apartments. She happened to have a few that were empty, and I chose the one furthest from our current unit. No one moved into our old unit while Cody and I still lived in the building, but I made some preparations for the next resident. See, when I cleaned up the mess from the printer, I saved Clarissa's hairs. I tucked them under a corner of the carpet that I tore up and pressed back down. She couldn't use the printer anymore, but I hoped Clarissa would find another means of communication. And if she didn't, or even if she did, I would communicate too. I've been sending letters to that apartment for years now, warning everyone who's lived there to leave if they start feeling unreasonably tired or lose too much weight inexplicably. I tell them to pay attention to anything that seems strange or out of place, to listen to any friendly voices, but hide from anything that seems sinister. I will keep sending these letters until I can find a way to banish the eater for good. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.